the 31st of May, 2007, episode 78. The Rookie Designer, with your host, Adam Hay. Let's take a look at the starting lineup. As we grow older, we are faced with many choices about how to live our lives in a correct and honest way. This, of course, spills over into our careers because, let's face it, once you get to a certain age, your work is your life. But it brings up the point of ethics in the workplace and the rules that govern the way we behave as professionals in all facets of our career. Today, we're going to talk about ethics in design. All right, I just have a couple of items before we get started. Uh, In the news, a couple of things. Uh, iTunes came out with iTunes Plus, which is finally a set of music that you can buy that is DRM-free. That means it doesn't have the digital rights management, which means a couple of things. Uh, it means you can play the you can buy and play the music on any MP3 player. It doesn't have to be an iPod, and uh, you just don't have the same hassles that you had before. Uh, I also read another article about this, though, that you probably want to keep in mind. And that is that doesn't mean that you can just go ahead and pirate these things. You can't just give them to your friends or put them up on peer to peer or do something like selling them to other people. This isn't a good idea. And this article gave a pretty good reason why. And it seems that when you buy these songs, it kind of embeds your information in the uh, whatever it is, an M4A or M4V, no, no, it wouldn't be V, M4A or something like that, I think is what the format is that they give you. But uh, they did this trick through the terminal where they actually looked at, you know, the information of the file, the metadata or whatever, and it actually had the person's name in it that downloaded the song. So be careful with that one. Uh, I think this is their new uh, attempt to have some kind of security and make sure that they can find out if somebody's, you know, selling the song secondhand or if they're giving them to all their friends or whatever. Um, same thing it goes as always, though. But I mean, I think you just have to be a little more careful if you're that type that type of person that that likes to give away your music. Uh, you got to be careful because it seems now that your information is going to be embedded in that song. But other than that, um, it's nice to see that they finally got rid of the the digital rights management. And also they say the songs are higher quality, so that should be good. Um, another thing I saw was the, the D conference. It's like a big digital conference. And I believe they said it's up in Carlsbad. I can't find the exact... Uh, article that I was looking at, but I saw it on the news last night as well. And I think they said it's up here in Carlsbad, which is not too far from me. Uh, The big thing here was uh, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates were actually going to share the stage together and have a conversation, which I don't think has happened since the 80s. So that was kind of big news. Also, they were kind of showing off some new technology that they had. Um, Bill Gates had this, it's like a touchscreen. It's almost like a coffee table but it's all touchscreen. It's a giant computer and you can move things around and look at pictures. And uh, I didn't see the whole video, so I can't speak to what exactly it did. Um, Steve Jobs had a couple of things as well. They were talking about the iPhone, which of course is supposed to come out very soon. Uh, things like iTunes is is probably going to be releasing some HD movies in the future. Um, I don't know if this came out at this conference, but I just read something about the fact that you're going to be able to play YouTube videos on, uh, ITV very soon. So that's pretty cool. And, uh, about the iPhone, somebody asked if there's going to be the ability to put third party applications on your iPhone. And, uh, there definitely wasn't a no answer to that. They said there were some security issues with that, but you know, that's something that might happen in the future, which would be cool as well. Other than that, uh, I found one other thing, and I thought this was pretty cool. This is a little more relevant to probably what I do because uh, the company that I work for deals a lot with mapping and uh, GPS tracking and that kind of stuff. And uh, Google Maps came out with something called Street View. I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. Uh, pretty cool technology anyways. And basically, it's it's snapshots of pretty much every street. Now, it's not across the whole country yet. I think there's a few zones like uh, New York, San Francisco, Denver, uh, Las Vegas. I was looking at some. And basically, you go into this new Google Map view. You can click on this little camera icon. It zooms you way in. And then you take a person. There's like a little person icon. And you drag them to whatever street you want. The streets are blue. 
you drop them on a street and then it pops up a little window that shows you a picture. Now you can see the streets. Uh, you can see whatever cars were on the street while you're navigating, while they actually took the picture and you can navigate around. You can spin it around and you can move the person down the street. You can look to the sides. You can, you know, take a right or a left at the next intersection, but they have pictures for all of that. And it's pretty cool stuff. So might want to check that out. I'll put a link in the show notes. And of course, you can always find the show notes at rookiedesigner.com slash rookie. And uh, anything that I talk about here of relevance to you, you could probably find the link in the show notes if you want to go check it out. Uh, last couple of things. Uh, as always, I ask that you tell a friend or tell a stranger about this podcast. Tell anybody that you think might benefit from listening to it uh, so we can just grow our audience and uh, make it more worthwhile for everybody. The more people we have listening, the more people we have you know, in the forums participating, the better this show is going to be. So uh, please tell whoever you think can, can benefit from listening to this podcast. And if they don't know about podcasting, you know, maybe educate them a little bit. Take the five minutes that it might take to let them know what podcasting is about and how to listen and how to subscri subscribe and all that. I would definitely appreciate that. Last thing is, uh, this podcast is being brought to you by GoToMeeting. And GoToMeeting is an application that allows you to meet with others whether they're in the same room with you or not. But it's going to feel like they're in the same room because basically you're being able to share your screen. Now on Quick Tips for Designers, it's it's a video, but it's also of me like actually sharing my screen. I, you're seeing what I do in all the applications. Whatever I open, you can see what I'm doing. And GoToMeeting is very similar to that. Uh, it's not a video. It's actually live. And the people who are in the other areas, they actually log in in a browser and then they can see what you're doing on your screen real time. So pretty cool stuff. You can actually show people what you're doing. Uh, it's obviously a lot better than being on a big conference call on the telephone where you have to actually explain everything. This way you can actually show them what you mean. Uh, there's cool features like pass the controls. You can pass the controls to someone else and let them show people something. And uh, very cool technology though. So if you want to try this, you can try it for free for 45 days. You just go to gotomeeting.com forward slash podcast. That's gotomeeting.com forward slash podcast. And you just fill out a little form. And you can try that for 45 days. Uh, I'll throw out the disclaimer one more time. If you're on a Mac, you cannot actually download the software and host a meeting yourself at this point. They, they don't have that software created yet. Uh, it is in the works, so I'm told. But um, you still can attend a meeting. You just can't host it. So keep that in mind if you're on a Mac. So I think I touched on this topic a little tiny bit last week, uh, which uh, sparked an interest for me a little bit. And also it was actually, it was actually a, a topic that was given to me by one of our listeners, Chris, and that is ethics in design. And let's put a big giant disclaimer on this. First of all, you know, what I'm, what I'm talking about, a lot of what I'm saying today, actually, I'm going to be doing a lot of reading. I did a lot of research on the internet to see what I could find, what other people are talking about in regards to this topic. And I found a lot of interesting stuff. Anything, you know, I'm going to be adding in my own opinions as well, as I always do. Anything that's said on this podcast obviously is not law. It's not the way things should be. It's not the way things are. It's simply opinions of other people and myself. And when it comes to things like ethics, I mean, everybody lives in a different way. So obviously, you might not agree with everything that's said on this podcast, and I don't expect that anyone would agree with every single thing that's said on this podcast. Uh, if you do want to talk about it, absolutely go up to the forums afterwards and start a new topic and, and get the conversation rolling, because I think this is something that, that a lot of discussion can be had about this topic, because people do live so differently. Different people had, have different ideas of what's right and what's not, or how we should actually live, or how we should work, and... It's just it's just a very broad topic, and I wanted to throw that out there in the beginning. I don't want you to think that I'm saying that this is the way that you should be. This is the way you should work, and if you don't, you're not ethical. That's absolutely not the case. It's just some things to, to think about, to, to spark some conversation, things to get you thinking about how you work and you know whether you do think that it's an ethical way to work or the right way to work. So as I said, I'm going to be doing a lot of reading on this one. And just kind of commenting on on what I found, so uh, hopefully that's not too annoying, and I'll try not to uh, muck it up too much as I'm reading. 
Anyways, the first thing that I did was go and look for a definition of ethics. So I'll read uh, what I found there. The first one is a system of moral principles, the ethics of a culture. Number two, the rules of conduct recognized in respect to a particular class of human actions or a particular group, culture, etc. The third one is moral principles as of an individual. His ethics forbade betrayal of a confidence. And the branch of philosophy dealing with values relating to human conduct with respect to rightness and wrongness of certain actions into the goodness and badness of the motives and ends of such actions. So basically we're talking about, you know, I'm going to do a certain thing. I'm going to act in a certain way to a client. Maybe is this the right way to do it? Or is this the wrong way to do it? And like I said, everybody is going to have a different opinion as to whether it's right or wrong or how much right it is or how much wrong it is. So, I mean, this is, this is just going to be a, a very broad, open, open discussion type of topic. So the first thing I didn't write this one down. I tried to write down where I found all these things. Uh, this first one, let me just go ahead and jump right into it since I don't remember where it was from. Uh, there's certainly nothing wrong with protecting our professional interests and the interests of our clients. And you'll find the content, you'll find content to that effect in most statements of ethical practices created by designer organizations around the world. However, I would argue that our single most significant contribution to society would be to make sure that the communications we create are actually useful to those for whom they're intended. And that this concern must be and that this concern must be elevated to the same level of importance as those previously discussed. So I remember what this was. I found this on the uh, AIGA website. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't write down who. Oh, actually, I did. It's uh, from an article called "In Search of Ethics and Graphic Design." It's by Paul uh, Nini or Nini N I N I. And again, that was from the AIGA site. And this guy was basically. His whole article was about looking for, you know, people that are actually concerned about this topic of ethics and design. And his big point was this one, you know, are we designing responsibly? Are we just going with what our client says and and basically, you know, design whatever they want us to, to design and not worry about the end audience? Are we actually pulling you know, opinions of our audience in and taking that into account before we design so that we make sure we design something that's actually useful for them. Uh, might seem kind of like a broad topic, but, you know, we do have a responsibility, I think, as designers to make sure that we're not just designing to make something look cool, not designing to maybe, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, to trick people into buying a certain product that maybe they don't need, or maybe it could be potentially harmful to them, which uh, there's tons of that that goes around. Um, we have that obligation to make sure that, that we're responsible with our design. And that may be something that you never thought of before. Uh, the next point that I wrote down was the client's desire for profits and our desire for visual sophistication and peer recognition should come after the needs of the audience and the users have been met by putting our constituents first and ourselves last, we might be able to, excuse me, we might be able to create a more significant ethical model for our, prof for our profession to pursue. So again, go, harping on the same thing. And I think this is, this is the big point here. You know, we want the money. The client wants us to do something. Most times we're going to, we're going to say yes, because we want that money that they're dangling in front of us. We need to pay our bills. Uh, we want to have nice vacations. So, you know, that usually plays in first. The second thing, you know, we want to make something that looks cool. We want something we can put in our portfolio. Uh, we want something that maybe we can enter into a contest and, and get recognition for. Or we want, you know, other designers to be able to look at our work and say, wow, that's really cool. That's a great design. But what can't get lost in the mix is there's a purpose for design. And I think we've said this many times on the show before, and there was one show in particular too that I remember that we were talking about, you know, should we call ourselves call ourselves graphic designers or communication designers? And you certainly can't call yourself a communication designer if all you're doing is making things look cool. That's not communication. That's art. That would be more along the lines of fine art, I guess. Uh, 
But, uh, you know, there's something to keep in mind here. And that is this stuff, this material that we're making is supposed to serve a purpose. It's supposed to do something. So if we keep that in mind, we're doing a better job. We're doing a service to our profession by making sure that, that we're fulfilling that obligation to make artwork that's functional. Uh, the last thing I had here was a list of responsibilities, and this is coming from this writer. This is These are the responsibilities that he thinks that uh, designers should keep in mind as far as, you know, if they want to be ethical in their design. Designers must recognize the need to include audience members and users whenever possible in the process of developing effective communications and to act as an advocate for their concerns to the client. So basically, you're finding opinions, you're you're getting information about your audience, the audience that you're supposed to be designing for, and you're bringing in that into the way that you design the piece. And the last thing, you act as an advocate for their concerns. So you go back to the client and you say, well, you know, we could do it this way, but what we're really trying to do is appeal to this group of people. So, you know, what I've found in, in talking to some of these people uh, is that we should go about things this way. So you're actually kind of going back to the client and giving them a little bit of uh, idea of what the strategy should be. Now, this isn't always going to be your job either. If you work in a design firm, there are probably people that do this for you. There's the marketing team. There's people that do studies, that do focus groups, that find out these certain things and help your design firm go in the right direction and help your client go in the right direction. But if you're just freelancing by yourself, these are some things that you might need to do yourself. So... Definitely something to keep in mind, and I'd have to say I do agree with that one. The designer's main concern must be to create communications that are helpful to audiences and users and that meet their needs with dignity and respect. Any communication created by a designer that is intentionally misleads or confuses must be viewed as negative reflection of the profession as a whole. I tend to agree with this one. I know that there's this isn't cut and dry. This isn't black and white. There's a whole lot of gray area in there. And it's not to say that if you get even into the gray area at all, that, that you're a bad designer or that you're doing a disservice, but you know, things that are blatant. And, and the one thing that, that I think is kind of funny, I, I think it's funny because it works, but it's something that you see absolutely everywhere. And I think kind of falls along this line is, and I think where this actually came from is is something like a contract. When a lawyer draws up a contract, we all know there's something called the fine print, I guess. And the fine print, you know, the things they want you to see are, you know, large, maybe 10 to 12 point type, all caps. Those are the things they want you to see and make sure that you know that's in there. There's also some other stuff that's maybe six point. Uh, it's a light typeface and it's very small and it's all at the bottom. And they don't expect you to read that. And in most cases, you know, maybe they don't even want you to read that. Uh, another example is when you're advertising, you might have like a little asterisk next to one of your points saying, you know, free for so long. You go down to the bottom, there's little tiny type with a little asterisk. And uh, it says, you know, you have to be signed up for three years to get this deal. So, you know, that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. You see it even at the grocery store on coupons or or ads that say, you know, this product $1.99 and down at the bottom it'll say something, you know, like you have to buy 10 of them to get it at that, at that price. And they're really playing on people. I mean, this is a pretty, this isn't a, a very extreme example, but I think it's a good example that illustrates the fact that people don't read everything and designers know that and marketing people know that. And that's why there is the big giant type and the little tiny type, because they know they can put in the small type the parts that they don't necessarily want the person to read, and they probably won't read it. They won't take the time to read it. Again, that's a that's not a, the greatest example, but I think it's illustrated that point pretty easily. The next one. Designers must not knowingly use information obtained from audience members or users in an unethical manner so as to produce communications that are unduly manipulative or harmful in their effect. Now, what I was just saying, you know, people know that that people don't read everything. That would be an example of that. Again, that, I don't think that's really super malicious to do that, but, you know, because really it's all there. If they would take the time to read the whole thing, they would know. I think 
this would an example of this would be something more like if they said 199 and there was another stipulation and they didn't actually put it in the ad of course that would be illegal that would be false advertising but you know something something more along the lines of that i think would would be maliciously unethical Designers must advocate and thoroughly consider the needs of all potential audiences and users, particularly those with limited abilities such as the elderly and physically challenged. I think this is a big one. Uh, people that take advantage of the elderly, there, there's all kinds of scammers out there these days that do this. And, you know, if you're if you're taking advantage of these people in, in your design, then I think most people would, would agree that that's pretty unethical, that, that you can't... You really shouldn't get away with that. You know, elderly people are, they're just not all there. They're not all there as they were in their, in their middle ages, but uh, they're, they're a lot more susceptible to scams and, and things that confuse them. So uh, if you play on those weaknesses of the elderly or of uh, people that are challenged, I, I think, uh, I think you got something wrong with you. I'll go ahead and state my opinion on that. That's just that's just not right. That's not a good way to design. Designers must recognize that their work contributes to the well-being of the general public, particularly in regard to health and safety, and must not consciously act in a manner contradictory to this well-being. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. I'm going to have to agree with that one, too. I, and, and again, a lot of these things seem pretty out there. But there are situations in pretty much every job where you can get into these situations where things might might be kind of iffy. Now, if you work for a toy company and you're just making ads for toy companies, there can be some manipulation, but it's not going to be on this level. So maybe all this stuff doesn't apply to you, but maybe at some point you will have a job where it does. So definitely things to, to think about. The last one is designers uphold the credibility and dignity of their profession by practicing honest, candid, and timely communication and by fo- by fostering the free flow of essential information in accord with the public interest. And I think that's just kind of summing the whole thing up. Be honest about what you're doing, what your goal should be, and what your goal is, how you go about doing that, and how about you uh, communicate with the general public. The next one I had is from, uh, it's by Milton Glazer, and I think I initially found this on AIGA as well. And uh, let me just read the first part of this. It says, a few years ago, I had the pleasure of illustrating Dante's Purgatory for an Italian publisher. Uh, Blah, 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 blah. Anyways, uh, this particular thing comes from The Road to Hell, and... Let me read this last paragraph. Finally, finally, all questions of ethics become personal. To establish your own level of discomfort with bending the truth, read the following chart, 12 Steps on the Graphic Designer's Road to Hell. I personally have taken a number of them. And I thought this was kind of funny. Uh, I don't know that it's necessarily meant to be funny, but um, it's you'll see as it goes, it's, it's pretty interesting. So this is, again, this is 12 Steps on the Graphic Designer's Road to Hell. And see how many of these you actually have maybe followed already or maybe uh, thought about following or maybe will follow in the future. Number one, designing a package to look bigger on a shelf. Uh, I know that I've done that for sure. Number two, designing an ad for a slow, boring film to make it seem like a lighthearted comedy. I think this kind of stuff goes on all the time. And uh, this these are good because they illustrate you know points of, do you think this is unethical or not? You know, some people might not. There is some kind of manipulation going on there, but, you know, how much is it really, uh, do you really think it's that harmful to the public? Number three, designing a crest for a new vineyard to suggest that it has been in business for a long time. As you probably imagine, these type of things, I'm sure, go on all the time. Every single day, people are doing stuff like this. Number four, designing a jacket for a book whose sexual content you find personally repellent. And that brings in the whole moral thing of, I guess, how you live, how you uh, think things should go along. And what was the other? Oh, I I was listening to this interview for a guy. Hmm. Oh, he was a stuntman, I believe. And he had worked on a bunch of uh, TV shows and also movies where very foul language 
was used, of course. And there was like murder scenes. I think he had done stuff for some kind of uh, cop show on TV. And of course there were murders because there always is. And, um, you know, he didn't personally believe in something like that, but he still did the job. He just made sure that he was not on the set when that other stuff was going on. So, you know, some people, some people will absolutely say no to something like that. Some people can live with it. So, uh, number five, designing a, designing a metal using steel from the World Trade Center to be sold as a profit-making souvenir of September 11th. Uh, yeah, that one's, uh, that one's getting there. So as you can see, they're getting worse and worse as we go. Uh, number six, des designing an advertising campaign for a company with a history of known discrimination in minority hiring. How does that make you feel? So we're starting to get more into, you know, not necessarily ethical of how you're designing, but eth ethical questions for yourself of how you live and, and what you think is right and wrong. But, you know, all very relevant, like what would happen if somebody came to you with this idea and wanted you to design that? Number seven, designing a package aimed at children for a cereal whose contents you know are low in nutritional value and high in sugar. Uh, I'm absolutely certain that has happened many times because you look at many of the, the cereals out there. I think these days people are getting better about it because the general public is knowing more and more about what's in these products. And you can see even places like McDonald's trying to sell salads now. And you can see, I think General Mills actually is going with this whole thing of they now have... Uh, whole grains or whole oats. I think it's grains in all their cereals or something like that. So people are starting to get hip to that now, but uh, I'm sure that absolutely happened in the past. Number eight, designing a line of t-shirts for a manufacturer that employs child labor. How would that make you feel? Number nine, designing a promotion for a diet product that you know doesn't work. And again, I'm sure there's plenty of those out there. There's all kinds of... Uh, schemes for losing weight. And I'm sure a big percentage of them don't actually work. Number 10, designing an ad for a pol political candidate whose policies you believe would be harmful to the general public. Can you get behind something like that? Or is it going to, is it going to weigh on you too much that you're, you're just going to have to say no to that actual project? Very good questions here. Number 11, designing a brochure for an SUV that flips over frequently in emergency conditions and is known to have killed 150 people. Uh, again, I think the testing that goes on these days probably prohibits SUVs like that from being out there, but I know, I know things like that have happened in the past. There have been cars that, that just don't fit the, the mold as far as safety goes. And, uh, there were people that were on those projects that, that designed for them. So how would that, how would you feel in that position? Would you be okay with, with making something like that? And the final one is designing an ad for a product whose frequent use could result in the user's death. So <laughs> goes full circle there all the way from something that doesn't seem so bad, you know, making something, making a package look bigger than it really is. Uh, which I'm sure anybody who's done package design has probably done something to that effect. Something that either, you know, makes a product look cooler than it really is or makes the product look bigger. And uh, all the way down to something, designing something that, you know, if somebody uses it long enough, it could result in their death. A good example of that would be people who design packages of cigarettes. Now, of course, yes, it takes a very long time in most cases for people to die from that product. But essentially, you're you're working for for someone who puts something out there that is proven to kill people. So, just some things to think about there. Um, again, I think some very good examples of ethical questions as far as you know design goes, or as far as your career goes. The keys to the game. For our key command today, I have kind of a cheers and a jeers. And the cheers goes to InDesign, CS3. These are both CS3. And it's for hiding InDesign. Now on a Mac before, you would have to press Command and Control and H to get it to hide. And to be completely honest, I don't even know what it was on the PC. Now they have changed it to Command and H, much like you do for uh, lots of other applications on the Mac. But uh, one that comes to mind would be like Flash or Dreamweaver. Command H will make those hide. I'm going to assume that I haven't actually tried it out yet because I don't have CS3 on the PC yet. I'm going to assume that it's Control and H on the PC for that one. And hopefully I'm right. 
you can write me an email if I'm wrong. The jeers goes to Illustrator, Illustrator CS3. You still cannot hide Illustrator CS3 without going up into the menu and actually choosing it from there. There's no key command for it. Uh, I don't think there's ever been one for it. Um, it does use the command H for something else, but you know why can't they come up with something else? So that's that. that Illustrator gets my jeers, and InDesign gets my cheers. All right, continuing on, this next article that I found was by uh, a writer named Chris King. And again, this is just kind of going over different issues that you might run into that uh, you have to decide the ethics of it, really. And I'm just going to go ahead and start reading these. I've got a few paragraphs here. The first one is, a professional is upfront and honest about what he or she does for a living and is willing to do for a client. Says we must be honest to ourselves. We must know our strengths and our weaknesses, our likes and dislikes. When meeting with potential clients, uh, it's utmost importance to be genuine and sincere. It's also important to work ethically and with integrity. Never, never performing a task that challenges our principles, no matter how much money we are offered. Now it covers a lot of different things. I think that last sentence, first of all kind of goes back to what the list that we just read. You don't want to do something that challenges your principles. If you don't think something's right, then don't do it. You don't want that job. You don't want that on your conscience. Uh, if you are completely against you know, cigarettes, you think they're bad and they kill people, you don't want to be designing a package of cig- cigarettes. It's, it's just not going to make you feel good. Uh, we must be honest to ourselves, know our strengths and our weaknesses, our likes and dislikes. That's very important. And uh, we've talked about that before, even in just going to get a job, you need to know what you're good at, what you're not good at. You don't want to misrepresent. You don't want to tell them you can do something that you can't do because they'll figure it out eventually. Uh, The likes and dislikes. I think that's an important one too. If you're doing freelance and you just don't like doing a certain kind of work, you probably shouldn't take that work from from the client, even though they're, they're willing to pay you for it. You're probably not going to do as good of a job because you don't enjoy doing it. Or maybe you completely hate doing it. So be careful with those things. You know, I don't think that's as important, but it really can play into how you design. Uh, you, you definitely need to be genuine and sincere with clients. And I wanted to throw this in myself because I think this is what I was talking about last week. Uh, and I'll just throw it in right here. When you're dealing with freelance customers, a lot of times they have absolutely no clue what you do, how you do it, Uh, what amount of time it takes you to do it. And I said before, you can really take advantage of people this way. And this is where this comes in, you know, this this whole ethical, being ethical, uh, being genuine and being sincere. You need to decide for yourself what's right, what your work is worth, how much they should be paying you for that, uh, how much time you spend on it and all that stuff factors into it. But you need to be honest because you can really take advantage of these people if you want to. I mean, to to an, a certain extent, if things get, you know, a little too high priced, they're probably going to say, hey, something funny is going on here. But really, the fact is, most of these people aren't going to know anything about what you're doing. And you're going to be able to tell that as well, because they're going to drive you nuts as, as, far, as far as the project goes. But anyways, here's where a big ethical question comes in, you know, how much do I charge these people? Because you can probably get away with overcharging them. So do you do that? Uh, you know, that's that's a question for everybody to answer. But um, I think that's probably one of, the, one of the hugest ethical questions in freelance design because many times you are going to be dealing with people that don't know anything about design, anything about graphic design or how long it takes you to do something. And that's probably one of the biggest jokes you'll hear from if you go to seminars or trainings or anything like that. It's one of the biggest jokes you'll hear. But the other thing is, and I don't think you should, I, I don't think you should confuse this with this, is we know how much time it takes us to do certain things. We make quotes, or that's how I do it. I make a quote for, say, $1,000 for a certain project that I think is going to take that long. If I go out and I bust my ass and I use all kinds of shortcuts and and I'm not, I don't mean shortcuts as in cutting corners and not doing certain things. I mean shortcuts in my applications to make things move faster. If I do all that kind of stuff and I finish in less hours and it actually would have costed the client less, do I owe them that money back? No, I don't think so. Other people might think that you do, but I don't think so. I based it on 
past experience of how long things have taken me, if I can get that done faster and have that extra money that actually I wouldn't have been charging them, then I think that's okay. So I don't think you should confuse that with the fact of, you know, I know this project would normally cost $1,000, but I know that I can get 1500 out of these people, so I'm just going to charge them that. That's That, in my mind, is completely different, completely different situation. And I apologize for all the noise in the background, if you can hear that. Uh, let's move on to the next one. A professional honestly and accurately communicates with his or her qualifications. This falls directly from the previous paragraph, we must never create qualifications, and I alluded to that before. Uh, it says, like college degrees we didn't earn, clients we never had, or work we never performed, blah, 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 to make us look more experienced. Definitely don't want to be doing this. I said in a job interview, you don't want to do it, they're going to figure it out. Working freelance, again, maybe they won't figure it out. Uh, you could probably tell them you have a college degree, they're not going to ask to see it. Uh, you, could, you could probably tell them that you worked for Sony before. How are they going to know other than asking to see your work? Well, then you might be in a little predicament there. I think an interesting one that we can look at here too is uh, work that we've never performed. And I don't think this necessarily has to mean that you're saying that you did a certain piece and you didn't do it at all. This could also be something maybe you worked in a group. You worked with three other people on a project and made this really cool, you know, multimedia thing or, you know, print document and claiming that you did the whole thing when you obviously didn't. That, that also is, you know, claiming work that you didn't actually do. So be careful with that one too. And be very careful with that one. If you're going in for interviews, showing portfolio pieces, if you have things that other people helped you work on, make sure you uh, let the people know that you did not do all the work, that you did have some help from other people. That's very, very important. The trustworthy professional doesn't agree to take on a job or project outside his or her expertise or interests. Um, again, on the interest thing, I can't say I completely agree with that. I don't think you have to be totally interested in what you're doing to do a good job. Um, it can get to a point, though, where if you absolutely hate what you're doing, then it's going to affect your work. So uh, there definitely is different levels to that one. Uh, outside your expertise, absolutely. Um don't, don't do something just because it pays really well, even though you don't really know how to do it. Now, again, going back to discussions we've had in the past, I like to say, you know, don't be afraid to take on a challenge. Don't be afraid to do something new. Just make sure that it's not something that you have absolutely no idea how to do. You know, if you have to learn a whole new application to be able to finish this project, that's not, that's not a good idea. You don't want that. On the other hand, if it just deals with something that's that's maybe a step up from something you've done before, maybe you just have to learn a couple of new tricks to get it done, I don't think that's bad. Just make sure before you take on the job that you are going to be able to complete it. The last thing you want is to take on a job and have to tell, go back and tell the client, uh, I couldn't figure out how to do this, so I can't do this job. You're going to mess up their timeline. They're never going to come back to you again. Uh, it's just going to be a bad situation. So don't promise something that you can't deliver on. As we've said in the past, uh, promise less and deliver more. It's going to make you look better in the long run. A professional can be trusted completely by his or her clients to do the best job possible. This is uh, uh, probably the most important one, right? You want to make sure that, that they know that you're going to do the best job that you possibly can. They want to know that. That's why they're hiring you. So make sure that you do it. Don't half-ass anything. Like I said, you don't want to do this, especially in freelance or in a regular job. If you start half-assing things, if you start loafing around, you're, you're not going to stay in that job very long. You're not going to keep that client very long. So it's not advantageous to you. Uh, I think this is an ethical thing. But on the other hand, you know, there's probably a lot of jobs where you can get away with you know, half-assing it and not get fired. But it's all up to you whether you think that's right or not. So, you know, in freelance, I think it's a little more, your, your job is a little more dependent on doing things the right way and doing them, doing them well. But I, I think there are those situations where you can skate by. So, you know, do you think that's right? Should you be able to do that? That's, that's a question for yourself. The ethical professional treats all clients and other freelancers with respect and fairness. Uh, in my opinion, this means never divulging confidential confidentialities, charging different clients different fees according to the traffic will bear, or speaking badly of or spreading rumors about other freelancers or clients. 
definitely agree with the last statement there. I mean, you don't want to be saying bad things about other freelancers, other people that are your competition. You want to try and outsell them, try and say, I have this. And, and from what I've seen, they don't offer this, so I'm better. But don't don't spread rumors. Don't don't be saying bad things about them just to get jobs. That's that's terrible. Uh, never divulging confidentialities. I think that's another good one. Um, I've had people, at, clients ask me, well, what did you charge so-and-so for this? Because I have clients that know each other. Absolutely not. I never, ever tell them because that's going to hurt me in the long run as well. But I, I just don't think that's something that they should be able to ask and, and receive the answer for. So I never do that. Um, charging different clients, different fees according to what traffic will bear. Uh, you've heard me speak on this one before, and I completely disagree with that. I think if something is going to be, basically they're licensing your artwork to be able to take that and put it in a publication, print it, hand it out, put it on the internet and let people see it there, whatever the case. If you're working for, and I'm going to use the same example that I always do, if you're working for mom and pop shop that distributes to maybe 500 people in their local area, and then you do another job for Coca-Cola, who has millions in their distribution, why should I have to charge Coke the same thing that I charge mom and pop? If I take on the Coca-Cola job first and charge them $30,000, I'm obviously not going to go to mom and pop and try and charge them $30,000 for the same type of project. I think that's totally wrong. You do have to base it on the needs of the customer, the distribution, absolutely the distribution, because again, you're licensing this product and you'll find, you know, same example again, if you license a photograph, if it's actually has a license on, it's not royalty free, you're going to find that same thing. Depending on how much distribution of that photograph you're, you're using or you're going to have, you have to pay a different price. You have to pay a higher price. So I absolutely believe that that's right. I don't think there's anything unethical about that. Now, if you have two very similar businesses that do the same distribution and you just say, well, this business can afford more money, so I'll charge them more, then we're getting into a situation where that might be a little unethical. All right, the last one on this one says, a true professional asks, what can I do to help others achieve their goals? And I really like this one. This is something we did a whole episode about. Uh, it says, even though time is one of our most valuable assets, I feel that we must take the time to help others when they ask us for assistance. And I've said this time and time again. If you have other designers that are out there that, that need your help, that you think you can help them, you know, even if it's just giving them a tip or two, you should take the time to do that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to help our profession build and, and the better our profession is, the better it is for you being in the profession. So just try and help the people that are around you that need the help. All right. A couple more things here. This one comes from Step Magazine, and they just had a kind of a random random little article. There was some, uh, some other links on it that I was hoping to get more information on, and they didn't work. And it uh, looks like this one's going real long, so I apologize for the length of this, but there was there's just so much information out here, and there, there's a lot of things to think about, really. So I'll try and get through this quickly. Uh, the first one was uh, kind of another list of things to think about. And the first one is, respect other designers in fair and open com competition. And we just talked about that, so I won't go into that one again. Be honest when you're describing your professional experience and competencies. We talked touched on that one in the last... Avoid any type of conflict of interest. Uh, I don't know if I really want to go into that one, but I think a good a good example of that, maybe not in design, you hear of conflict of interest in maybe like a courtroom setting to where somebody knows one of the parties and they can't they can't be impartial about something. So that would be that would be an example of that. I can't really think of something in graphic design terms, but you know maybe actually wait. If you work for a certain company that does a, a certain type of business, and then you work for another company that does a similar type of business, and you know how to undermine the last company that you worked for, and how to you know their weaknesses. So now you can make an ad that states we're better than them because they have these weaknesses. That would probably be a good, a good example of conflict of interest. Um, acquaint yourself with each client's business and provide honest and impartial advice. 
Maintain the confidentiality of all clients' information. We said said that one already. Maintain commitment to the development of innovative work of the highest quality. And hopefully you strive for that anyways. I'm not sure that that's a... I guess that would go back to the are you loafing, are you half-assing, or are you really doing your job the way it should be? That shouldn't be a question for you. You should always be striving for that. Reject all forms of plagiarism, ethics, and social responsibility. I'm not going to talk about that because we'll get into that in a minute. Acknowledge authorship of others who have collaborated with you in creating a design. And that's what I was just talking about. If you work with other people, make sure they get the credit, especially if you're using it to get another job, then uh, that's very important. Um, A couple of big topics they had here, consumer product labeling. Uh, If you're involved in the design of certain types of consumer products or packages, you need to be aware of any applicable, applicable labeling requirements. In the U.S., a number of federal and state laws have been enacted to protect consumers from unknowingly purchasing projects that might be unsafe or unsanitary. I think, again, this is uh, just this is stuff that you should know. If you're in that job, you should know that there are certain things you need to have on these products. And again, is it unethical not to put them on there? Uh, probably, but it's also illegal. So, And Really, you just need to know the laws. You need to know what's expected of you if you're in that type of a job. And hopefully, you'll be working some, for somebody that doesn't just you know skate by those things. Uh, the, expansion, the expansion of consumer culture. Designers are involved in many activities, but a significant portion of the work that we do promotes corporate commercialism. When serving commerce, we need to be aware of the influence and impact that our work has on the public. Marketing and advertising shape our customers' culture, including the self-image and personal values of buyers. Our involvement in materialism and, and conspicuous consumption may even extend to the creation of artificial needs and the promotion of unnecessary products through advertising and marketing messages that are manipulative or deceptive. So the first thing that came to mind when it said self-image is the fact that you... All you see on commercials these days are beautiful people, skinny, you know, very good looking people. And um, uh, what, what is it? When you see like the, the workout equipment, you see a commercial for, you know, like the Bowflex or whatever. And these people, they're ripped already. They're not fat. They don't need to work out. I mean, they probably do to keep their muscles toned the way they are. But it's, it's not a good represent, representation of who will actually use this, who actually wants to buy this machine. Uh, I don't know that that's a a great example because yes, people who maybe aren't fit, maybe they do need to work out maybe they could benefit from having an exercise machine, but you know, making people think something that maybe they necessarily don't, somebody may need to work out, but maybe they don't need to spend $2,000 on a, a home system, you know? So just making people believe that they need something they don't, they don't really need. I think that's pretty much the, uh, the, the idea there. Then I had a couple of things here. Um, and my question was, is this kind of beyond the scope? Are these things that, that we really should worry about? Are these things, I mean, they could go either way. It really depends on what you believe in as a person. The first one is the increasing, the increasing power of corporations. Uh, most leading design firms work for large corporate clients and it's no secret. Good design sometimes support supports bad companies. Uh, private profit making is often at odds with this, with the public good. So I guess I'd go back to like the cigarette thing for cigarette example for that. You know, obviously cigarettes are not good. It's a, it's a multi-million, probably billion dollar. Same thing with alcohol. It's, it's a big business. And, uh, but it does kill people. It creates a lot of problems in this country. Not that if you don't design it, it's just going to go away. That's obviously not the case. But, you know... How do you feel about that? How would you feel about working on something that you know contributes to people dying? And it's, again, that's a question for each individual. Everybody's going to react differently to something like that. Uh, next one is the globalization of trade. Many designers work with multinational corporations, either as an outside consultant or as an in-house employee. In most global business, raw materials come from one part of the world, manufacturing happens in another, and the final sales are made somewhere else. So uh, this has been an issue in the U.S. for sure. Uh, there was, there's been lots of controversy with businesses sending, you know, different aspects of their business outside the country because they can have cheaper labor. And that goes back to that whole thing, you know, 
it doesn't necessarily have to be child labor, but that's one example. But maybe it's being sent out of the, out of your country. How do you feel about the fact that people in your country are losing out on jobs and you're actually working for this company? Again, that's something that you're going to have to decide for yourself uh, whether you think that's right or not. All right. The last little section I have here is from the AIGA website again. And I'm actually going to put a link up to this page because I thought it had some good info on it. Uh, each of these things I'm going to be talking about, they have a whole PDF that you can read about. So uh, definitely go up there and check that out. Uh, some of these things we've talked about already. The first, and these are these are more specific ethical things, and I think relate specifically to what we do on a daily basis. The first one is font use, and we talked about this when we had the interview, and uh, just respecting the licensing that goes along with fonts. So you know, have a license for all your fonts on your machine that you're using. Make sure your employer has purchased a license for the fonts that you use. I think you'll find a lot of times your business might actually try and cut corners and not have licenses. And fonts, you know, are a strange thing because they're very easy to share with other people. And then all of a sudden you have a bunch of fonts on your machine. You don't know which ones you have a license for or not. So try and keep that straight. Uh, contact a font foundry if you have any questions about licensing, uh, whether you own a license on something, uh, what the license covers, you know, how many machines you can use it on, that kind of stuff. Don't be afraid to contact them and ask them. Um, don't share with your friends or other people. And I know probably a lot of us are guilty of it. I've done it before. But just just be careful with that kind of stuff because it's, you know, you're de you're degrading the work that these people put in when they actually built this font. It wasn't something they just magically slapped together. They actually put time into it. So keep that in mind when you're just, you know, throwing fonts out to everybody you know. And be wary of who you share fonts with. Uh, this was my own, actually, that I added in. And my example was when you package up files in InDesign, it does give you that little font warning that says, hey, you're going to be putting your fonts into a folder here that you're giving to somebody else. Make sure that they're trustworthy people. If you give them to a printer, they're supposed to use it and then throw them away. They're not supposed to keep them. Um, if you're sharing, I've had this, this thing at work where we have resellers of our products, so they want to use the same kind of advertising. They just want to rebrand it with their company name. So I'm sending them the source files for my stuff. Well, in those source files, there's font files. I guarantee these people aren't throwing them away. Uh, I don't know if they're smart enough to just put them on their machine and use them for the rest of time, but they absolutely could do that. So be careful who you are sharing your, your, font, your fonts with. You know, and by sharing, I don't mean that you're sharing it with them so that they can use it. You're sharing it with them so that they can, you know, open up a file on their machine. Next one is software use and pretty much the same issues as fonts. These people took a long time, a lot of work, a lot of dedication to make this software excellent and make it operate the way it does and help you with your job. So, you know, don't don't slap them in the face and and steal it. Now, on this same topic. Again, I have said in the past, yes, I've used pirated software. I've never used pirated software to make money. I've never used it. As soon as I started my business, I bought all my stuff legit. And you should absolutely do that because there are actually consequences that come if somebody finds out that you're using illegal software to make money. Well, using illegal software, period. But I think it's going to be easier for them to find out that you're doing that if you're making money on it. I actually used it when I was in school. And I had a home computer, but I did not have the money to purchase these things. There are discounted softwares for students, but sometimes you can't afford those either. So, you know, I'm not saying it's right. Again, this is an ethical thing. So you're going to decide one way or the other. Myself, I thought it was okay for me to use to actually learn the programs. And so I did that. Anyways, um, some issues you could run into. You could be using buggy or outdated software. So it might not even work the way you want it to work. Uh, it could contain viruses. It could mess up your machine. Peer-to-peer, um, -peer, you know, downloading these things can actually waste your time. Uh, I found many times that I would download something, wait days, hours and days to download something, and then it wouldn't even work. So it could be a big waste of time that way. I mean, that's, pro that's probably not your biggest concern. But... Uh, you need to check that mass licensing is in place if that's the way you do it, like at your work. I found that when I went to my work the very first time, there were pieces of software out there that they were, you know, they would buy one copy and put it on a bunch of machines. And that's definitely illegal. You have to have a mass license 
in place to, to be able to use it on multiple machines. Uh, I think the one exception to that, and, and a lot of software companies have changed this policy, is you can usually have it on two machines now. Meaning if you have you know your main desktop computer and you have a laptop, you can have it on both of those and that's totally legal. As long as it's not somebody else's computer. Uh, sample software, make sure you use it as intended. Um, there are ways to get around some of this sample software and use it longer than it's supposed to be used. Uh, you shouldn't be doing that. A lot of the sample software is is good about making sure that you can't use it to make money because they put some kind of watermark on the final when you save it out or export something. But uh, just make sure you're honest about that stuff. Um, one licensed copy cannot be used on multiple machines. I already said that. Hard disk loading. Be careful about this one too. And hard disk loading is, let's say you buy a used computer from, from someone and they have a bunch of software already loaded on there that's not licensed. They're not they're not turning over the license to you, meaning that they probably didn't own the license in the first place. Be careful about using that. Just because you bought the computer with it on there doesn't mean that you now, you now have the right to be able to use that. The next one is sales tax. And... Sales tax is a very, very sticky situation. I, I would advise you to go up to this website and download that PDF and read about it. And what they advise you to do, and definitely a good idea, is if you have somebody that, that does your books for you, does your taxes, definitely ask them about it because it can change depending on what state you're in or what city you're in. Sometimes it's local like that. But the main gist of it is, is, your, is the result of your work actually tangible tangible property or is it purely a service because you know if it's tangible property that that you can actually hold in your hand in most cases you're going to have to charge sales tax if it's purely a service whereas you're let's say you're making a website for somebody that would be considered a service and you're not going to have to charge sales tax but again there's there's tricky laws about this kind of stuff and it really depends on where you're at. So the best thing to do is go and ask somebody that knows about it. And that's all I'll say about that one. Uh, copyrights. Basically honor them and make sure your clients honor them. Uh, we talked about something, uh, a little stipulation that I just recently put in my contract about the use of uncopyrighted photos or not uncopyrighted, but uh, not getting permission for using photos that are copyrighted or other materials like that. Make sure your clients aren't forcing you to do that. And if they are, make sure you educate them first of all, that that's not legal. And second of all, you know, if you can try and find a way to, to make sure you're not responsible. If something comes, if something comes about that, if, if somebody uh, gets in trouble for that, um, you'll make sure you honor copyrights yourself. You don't want to be using stuff that's copyrighted that you don't have the permission to use because first of all, you can get in trouble. And second of all, again, somebody else spent some time to make that and you're, you're devaluing it and you're devaluing the design profession if you do that. Photographs, same kind of thing. Make sure you honor the copyrights and the original works. Uh, there's really no excuse for stealing. And why there's no excuse? There's very affordable photographs out there. I've told you about iStock Photo. If you don't know about that, iStockPhoto.com. You can get pictures for as as little as a dollar. And you can get very large images for like 10 bucks, which is, I mean, you got no reason for not, your clients should be able to charge, you should be able to charge your clients those prices to, to buy photography for their projects. The other one is Photos.com. Uh, if you use lots of photos all the time, I would recommend this because you can buy like a month or six months or a year subscription and you can use as many pictures royalty-free as you want. So if you use lots of pictures all the time, that might be a better solution for you. Um, the last one here is print design and the environment. And this is something, this is another one of those things, it's just kind of what you believe in, how you live uh, I know there's a lot of environmentalists out there that probably would feel very strongly about this, and there's probably some people that wouldn't. But uh, the first one is, do you have control of this? We're talking about things like paper usage and toxic inks. Uh, there's a lot of waste out there. You think about all the brochures and how long people actually hold on to them after your, your client passes them out. They probably end up in the trash pretty quickly. Uh the actual process of printing things is not exactly the most sanitary process. There's a lot of uh, bad chemicals that come out of that process. Um, there's a myth that, you know, 
maybe my company uses all recycled and natural recycled papers and natural pigments and you know so there's no problem well that doesn't necessarily solve the problem there's still issues with that so uh, what can you do I think a couple of things that you can do kind of on a very local scale and I'm thinking more of the you know single freelancer here is maybe don't automatically think print now sometimes your clients are gonna say yes I have to have a printed brochure but maybe give them some other options. Uh, maybe maybe their solutions can be met in a paperless way. Maybe you can do some kind of multimedia, some kind of email campaign, some kind of website instead. And offering these ideas to people, you know, especially at things like trade shows. Trade shows, people tend to hand out a lot of printed materials. But uh, they tend to use both medias but, you know, sometimes maybe it'll be better if you can make a presentation that somebody can watch and uh, actually learn more because they're being able to see a video on it. But, you know, of course, that don't, doesn't always work because people are set in their ways and tradition has it that you hand out something that, that somebody can take with them and read later. Um, even though the fact is that many times somebody will take that and won't read it later and will just throw it in the trash. So... Uh, I don't know how much you can actually do about this topic, but you know, if you're really concerned about it, those are a couple of things to consider at least. Well, we are actually at the part where I would put the rookie, rookie mistake tip in, and I realized that I didn't actually bring one today. So since we're already pretty far over the time that we usually go, let's just skip to the uh, bullpen entry instead. Things are getting a bit out of hand. Looks like it's time to go to the bullpen. Our resource for today, and actually there's a couple of them. Um, very long URLs, I'm not going to just say them. So they will be in the show notes, rookiedesigner.com slash rookie. A couple of cool things though, and I actually finally used it. I found this quite a while ago. And uh, it's a way to kind of make a DIY little studio. And by studio, I mean like a little... Well, kind of like a studio for shooting pictures of products. It's going to be something that's small, but basically you take a box, a cardboard box and some tracing paper and you just build this little little studio where you can put something in and be able to take a picture, shine a, a either a strobe or a, a flash in the side, or I actually just took it outside and let the sun shine through it and gives you very, very good results. You'd be surprised. So uh, one of the links is for that. And uh, that's the thing that I actually just made. I had to make some product shots and... Uh, the other one is to make a ring light, a DIY ring light. This one doesn't actually give you all the steps to making it, but the, the person tells you what they use to make it. And a ring light is, it's kind of like a ring that goes around your lens, the lens of your camera, and shines light that way. So it gives you a little different results rather than using a flash that's maybe just on top of your camera or maybe you're holding it on the side or have it on a stand on the side or something like that. But I thought very cool things and... Uh, I found these. The first one actually came from Make, uh, the Make magazine, which is very cool. It'll show you how to make a lot of different things. But I thought these were two very cool things that if you're into photography and you don't have a lot of money like me, uh, might be very handy. So check those out. All right. So hopefully uh, we covered everything to a T on this ethics issue. Again, if you have any thoughts of your own, and I'm sure you will, feel free to go up to the forum and start a new topic and, and let's talk about it. You know, if people, people are going to have different points, different issues, different uh, ways that they feel about these things. So uh, the best thing to do is talk about it and uh, get a good discussion going. Uh, you can do that by going to rookiedesigner.com slash forum. And by the way, that's an excellent way to contact me as well as all the other people that are up there. Uh, if you want to contact just me, you can email me at adam at rookiedesigner.com. You can go to myspace.com slash rookie designer, or you can Skype me at username Titan Strides. And I ask again, please tell a friend, tell a stranger, coworker, fellow student, anybody who you think can benefit from this, who is into design, please tell them about this show. And uh, I would really appreciate it if you do that. And thank you guys for listening. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for the emails that I get, which I'm still working on. I will get to those hopefully soon. And thanks for spreading the word about Rookie Designer. But thank you, thank you so much just for listening, just for giving me your time, giving me your uh, probably over an hour this time. And uh, I really appreciate it. And I, I really I really feel privileged to, to have such a, a great and 
large audience listening to what I say and actually taking something away from it. And uh, one more thing to remember, everyone's a rookie before they're an all-star. That one's high. It's got the distance. It's high. Nothing has divided you. Growing older faster than it should. Pieces of me outside your door. So you're not at home. I'd like to not